Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Sports Desk Podcast. I'm your host Parker Ballantyne and I appreciate you tuning in today. Today we will be talking about Utah State's loss to the Boise State Broncos. Uh, we'll be reviewing some of the other week four games that happened in the conference. Uh, it was an interesting week for the conference. It was a fun week for the conference for sure. Uh, so we will uh, we'll take a look at some of those scores as well and start getting you ready for the BYU game this uh, this week. So as, as I mentioned, uh, Utah State does fall to the Boise State Broncos 27 to 3. So Utah State does fall to three and one on the season while the Broncos uh, move up to two and two. It was one of those games where to me the score doesn't really tell the full story. Uh, so let's uh, let's dive in and kind of look at what happened and uh, what um, what went wrong for the Aggies. Obviously, a lot going wrong in a game where you get blown out, uh, especially a game where you have so much momentum and, and so many good things happening to you uh, prior to this prior to this game. And we'll talk a little bit about how this game, while it would have been a great win for Utah State, isn't uh, necessarily a season-ending loss either. And we'll bet we'll definitely talk a lot about that in the coming weeks if Utah State continues to win uh, conference games. So uh, let's let's take a look at what happened in the game, though. So one thing we we've talked about at this point after every Utah State game every week is Utah State's first quarter and first half performance. And we've talked about the necessity for Utah State to come out strong on defense and on offense and try to punch one in before the opponent and try to hold the opponent in the first quarter and in the first half. That did not happen this game. The Boise State Broncos scored 10 in the first quarter, which is not really what you wanted to happen. Um, Utah State's first drive, actually, uh, we Utah State started with the ball and ended up throwing an interception on our first drive, an interception that would have... Um, would have put us in pretty good position, went right through uh, Justin McGriff's hands. Boise State was able to uh, recover that ball, and that led to a field goal, which, you know, it's 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 hard to play that game of what could have happened and uh, and all that, but, you know, some, some people look at that play as a 10-point swing uh, where you were moving down the field actually pretty well prior to that interception on that drive, uh, throws an interception, uh, just one of those, just one of those tough break interceptions. Uh, Justin McGriff goes up to get the ball, gets right through his fingers, and Boise State is right there to bring it in. And, you know, instead of being able to get in and get points on the board, instead of scoring a touchdown or even a field goal, uh, we give the ball, uh, turn the ball over to Boise, who then marches down the field. We do uh, we do hold them to a field goal, but they, they end up scoring a few drives later after we actually missed a field goal of our own. And then uh, Boise State goes uh, and scores a touchdown right after that. So that is how the first quarter went. The second quarter, nobody scored. Uh, the first half was a really low-scoring half, and most of the game, it felt like, it felt really like the whole game. It was just ten to zero, and then seventeen to zero. It felt like that was the entire game. To me, it felt like we started the game at ten to zero. And then that dragged on for a while, and then it was 17 to zero for the rest of the game. So 10 to, 10 to seven at the end of the first quarter, uh, and then at the end of the first half as well. And this is where the turning point was supposed to be for this game. Uh, Utah State has been a second half team all year long. The same cannot be said about the Boise State Broncos. So going into halftime at 10 to seven, 
honestly felt like we were in a really good position to come out and outscore the Broncos by 10 points in the second half. Uh, we have outscored all of our opponents by at least 10 points in the second half in all three of our games prior to this game, and it felt very plausible that we could do so in this game. Um, Boise State obviously scoring 10 in the first half is not particularly impressive for that Broncos offense, and despite the score... Utah State was actually moving the ball really, really well against the Broncos. And so at this point of the game, uh, right here at halftime, it really did feel like Utah State was poised to come out and do what they've done every game before and stage this come-from-behind victory. Um, but that is not what uh, not what happens. Utah State comes out of the, out of the half, is unable to score, and Boise State, on their second drive of the half, uh, puts a touchdown up on the board to make the score 17-0 to and kind of sets the tone for the second half. So instead of Utah State coming out and setting the tone for the second half, Boise State gets out ahead and uh, puts another one on the board. And in the fourth quarter, Utah State got a field goal. Boise State put up 10 more. Uh, really, uh, really blowing that lead up in the fourth in the fourth quarter and turning a pretty close game into a blowout. It did feel like a close game right up until that fourth quarter. And the fourth quarter is when it kind of just came loose. And really and really, what happened in the fourth quarter was something that we've seen kind of a, a few times with Utah State, uh, especially going back to 2019, some of the tougher teams we played uh, that year. For those of us that were around when we played LSU in 2019, there was aspects of that game that felt familiar in this game. And one thing that happened a lot in that game is that LSU defense forced a lot of three and outs and forced a lot of turnovers. That 2019 team was really good, um, but at some point it was just too much. And one thing in particular is the defense just spent way too much time on the field against LSU in 2019. Obviously, playing the Boise State Broncos is very different than playing an LSU Tigers team that goes on to win the national championship. But the defense looked really, really good. And they played a full game of really good defense. And then they had to go out and play a fourth quarter. Uh, in my opinion, the defense was out on the field uh, for way too long. The offense struggled to get uh, to get things going. And the Bronco defense was really, really elite. They have a high-level high level defense. And they were able to keep the Aggies off the field on offense. And kept that Aggie defense, I think, really uh, working hard. And by the time the fourth quarter rolled around, the Aggie defense was gassed. It was an early morning for the Aggies. Um, like, I was there at 6 a.m. I'm sure the team was there about that same time. And by the time the fourth quarter rolls around, the guys, especially the defensive guys, were gassed. It was it was getting hot outside, and they've been up for, uh, you know, since pretty early in the morning. So I think that fourth quarter, if you discount that fourth quarter, the game was really close. Uh, discounting the fourth quarter, it was a shutout for Utah State, but it would have been a 17-0 shutout, a much closer game than the 27-3 uh, final score. And like I said, I think the defense played really, really well for three quarters, and I think at that point they had basically played a full game of football and had to go out there and defend against a really high-level Broncos offense, play against an experienced Hank Bachmeyer for one more quarter. And it was just a bit much to ask from the guys. Boise State's an incredible team. They are a great football team. Uh, the record, their record doesn't quite show it. Two and two isn't particularly impressive. But with 
losses to UCF and Oklahoma State. Boise State's going to be, uh, they're going to be just fine. They're going to cause a lot of problems here in the conference. We've talked about it before. The Mountain Division Championship runs through Boise. Um, Boise now undefeated in conference, kind of controls their own destiny in the conference. And that's where, uh, that's where losing to Boise kind of hurts a little bit more is we're no longer in control of our destiny with even just one loss in conference. Uh, that one loss being to Boise, we kind of have to count on them to lose. So uh, we'll talk about what those possibilities are a little bit later. But that's the worst part of the loss, I think, is just no longer being in control of our own destiny uh, while Boise State is in control of their own. And that's how it usually is. Boise State, as I've mentioned, is an elite football team. And they are... Uh, they're, they're high level year in, year out. This is usually the position they're in. It really was a close game, and I, and let's go over some numbers that really show how close this game could have been and should have been, and then I'm going to focus in on the two statistics, the two numbers that I think really define this game in a negative way for Utah State, uh, the, two, the two numbers that I think lost the game for us. So let's look at some of the just some of the total numbers, the total yards, passing yards, rushing yards, things like that real quick. And you'll, you'll kind of see how close this game was between Utah State and Boise State. Um, ridiculously close. For how not close the score was, the performance was very, very similar. And we'll talk about some of the, the issues that we did have, particularly on offense, that made this this game seem like it wasn't close when it, when it really was. Total yards of offense, Utah State edged out Boise State. We had 431 yards of total offense. The Broncos had 428. So we had just a few a few more yards than they did on total offense. Again, we had 431 yards. Um, passing yards, Boise State uh, outdid us quite a bit. They had 285 yards in the air compared to our 208. Still, 208 yards in the air is not bad. 208 yards in the air is not generally a game that you're going to put three points on the board. So, uh, again, they're just 285 compared to 208 for Utah State. Rushing yards, Utah State ran the ball a lot more than uh, Boise State and a lot more successfully than Boise State. Utah State ran 223 yards compared to the Broncos, 143 yards. On the ground, we were moving a lot more than the Broncos were able to. And again, if you are running 223 yards, that's usually a game you're going to score more than three points in. Um, yards per play, we had just more than the Broncos. We averaged 5.8 yards of play. The Broncos averaged 5.4. So essentially an even, even match uh, when it comes to yards per play. So those are all the numbers that I think show how well matched this team was and how close this game actually was, especially until that fourth quarter where Boise State uh, got on the board a couple times uh, to to close the game. Now let's talk about the game, the the numbers that are not good for Utah State, the numbers that really, I think, show how we lost this game. The first one is the time of possession. The time of possession for Utah State is 24 minutes and 46 seconds. The time of possession for the Broncos, 35 minutes and 14 seconds. So that just goes to show, like I was saying, the defense was out there way too long and the offense was just struggling to get any momentum going. And again, we'll talk about a little bit of what was going on on the offense, um, but I think that really sums up 
what was happening. 24 minutes and 46 seconds to 35 minutes and 14 seconds. A full 11-minute difference there. I mean, that, that really is a significant amount of time. They had the ball for like 30% more time than we did. Uh, if If you have the ball that much more than your opponent it makes it really, really difficult for their defense to stop you that much. So I think that's a huge reason that Boise State was able to break down our defense late in the game and make this game look like it was not close. Again, this game was a lot closer than it was. It was a two-score game for a majority of the game. And the other number that I think really shows what went wrong for the Aggies not just in terms of the score, but in terms of the entire flow of the game. You know, like I said, that time of possession really uh, really matters a lot more for the score. Why it looks like a blowout, why it feels like a blowout when it really wasn't. Um, the number and the, the thing I think matters the most in how this game went, basically from start to finish, is the difference in penalties and yards for penalties. Boise State had five penalties and were moved back 40 yards. The Utah State Aggies were penalized 14 times for a total of 101 yards. That is, to me, the biggest issue that we had. I think this team is every bit as talented. I talked last Thursday about how we probably have the best player on the field at any given time. But when you have 14 penalties costing you 101 yards, it's extremely difficult to beat really good teams. It's, it's, it's hard to beat anybody if you're spotting them 101 yards, um, but it's especially hard to beat good teams, well-coached teams, smart teams, and experienced teams. Like a Broncos team that is led by Andy Avalos and Hank Bachmeyer. That's a it's a great it's it's a team with great leadership and and a great mentality, and if you're gonna give them 101 yards, they're gonna beat you. And quite honestly, if we would have given Air Force 101 yards, that's a game that we probably lose too. Uh, next week against BYU, if we have 14 penalties of our 101 yards, uh, that's a game that you're you're not gonna win against BYU. Um, so I think that's the biggest issue coming out of this game is what was happening on those 14 penalties, what happened on those 101 yards. There was uh, a lot of them were just uh, tough to swallow. You know, there was uh, a lot of penalties in the red zone, either either uh, on offense or defense. There was a uh, pass interference in the end zone, which you, you can't have something like that. Um, there were a couple false starts in the red zone, and we've seen that before. We saw that week one. We saw Andrew Peasley march right up to the the one yard line and then get pushed back for three false starts in a row and have to settle for a field goal. We've seen this kind of thing before and this is the kind of thing you're not going to see against a North Dakota team because you're just so much better. It's not going to be as glaring because you're blowing the team out. Uh it's something that we 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 saw it against Boise State because they're such a good team that they're going to make you pay for your mistakes. So that's that's I think the biggest takeaway from this game uh, without getting into the real specifics of different players and how they performed. I think as a team, you really got to rein that in a lot, especially for this BYU game and especially for these conference games that we play that actually matter 
when we are out here looking for a conference championship. So you gotta you gotta play smarter. Um, but I think I think this game against Boise State, we were right there for most of the game. Like I said, two score game for most of the game. Uh, just a couple a couple mistakes, and we really uh, got in our own way as we were as we were trying to win this game. So let's look at some individual players, and uh, particularly let's take a look at the quarterbacks. Um, Logan Bonner and, and Andrew Peasley both had kind of a rough night getting started against the Boise State Broncos. Uh, this is the best defense we've played all year, uh, and looking at our schedule, there's a good chance this is the best defense we will play all year, um, depending on uh, what postseason games we have in a bowl game and then things like that. Uh, there's a good chance this is the best defense um, on our schedule. Uh, Boise State defense was really, really good, um, and it showed. They they caused problems for for both of our quarterbacks. They caused problems for our line, and and they were uh, they were wreaking havoc. They were doing exactly what we've been trying to do. Logan, uh, so Logan Bonner was the starter. Um, he was eleven of twenty five with one hundred and seventy three yards. Did not throw a touchdown, and he had two interceptions. Andrew Peasley was only two for six. Uh, not a lot of not a lot of balls in the air for Andrew Peasley. Uh, he threw for thirty five yards, no interceptions, and no touchdowns. Uh, Andrew Peasley did fumble the football. These issues that the quarterbacks are having are very reminiscent of of earlier games that we've seen. Uh, week one against Washington State, Andrew Peasley didn't throw an interception, but he had a fumble. Logan Bonner was the exact opposite. Uh, was able to hold on to the ball and not fumble the ball, but he had an interception uh, that game as well. So not an outstanding performance by by either uh, quarterback really, or either by either offensive system that we were running. Neither um, you know neither quarterback had a ton of success, and it's really no fault of their own. It's no fault of the coaching staff. It was just uh, I think it was the Boise State effect a little bit. I mean. Boise State's a team that we've only beat five times, um, and it's because they're a better team all the time. So I think it's it's a little bit of a mental thing, but it's also just the fact that Boise State's a um, a better team with better facilities and and all of that. So, um, you know, and even Logan Bonner going eleven for twenty five with one hundred and seventy three yards isn't isn't bad. Uh, but those two interceptions are 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 difficult. Those are those are tough. So, uh, a lot of people out there complaining about the quarterbacks. A lot of people complaining, particularly about the quarterback system that we run, the two quarterbacks. And again, like I've been I've been high on it all year long, and I still believe in it after a loss. Uh, especially we're three and one, so we we've lost one game. Uh, running this system, I think it works fine. the The issue happens when the quarterbacks you put in and the quarterbacks you're playing can't play the specific role that they're trying to. Because a big complaint that you'll hear, I hear it all the time from people, uh, you know, texting me, calling me, uh, sideline at the games, just kind of making remarks about it. Um, the biggest complaint is that quarterbacks can't get into a rhythm when you're switching them out that's not true. Uh, we've seen that it's not true. It, it might be true for some quarterbacks. It might be true in some systems. Logan Bonner has shown that he can go out there and get into a rhythm after like half a drive. Uh, once he really gets the ball moving, he can move the ball quickly. He can run his no huddle offense 
And I think he has such a high level of chemistry with his guys, with DT, who's just supremely talented, and with McGriff and with Bowling and Derek Wright, that he can go out there and he can find a rhythm very quickly, regardless of how long he's in the game. And on the other hand, Andrew Peasley isn't necessarily a rhythm quarterback. Andrew Peasley is an energy quarterback. He goes in there and he just runs the ball. He finds his guys for short gains. He finds his guys for long bombs. I mean, Andrew Peasley is a guy that you just inject in there to create a high-octane, chaotic offense that just picks up big yards. So I don't think Andrew Peasley needs to be in a rhythm. I think Andrew Peasley is like your sixth man of the year in basketball where you just put him in and let him do his thing, and whether it's for three minutes a game or 18 minutes a game in basketball, you just let him go in there and just run the show because he's so talented. And I think that's what Andrew Peasley is for this team. You can give him one drive, one play, or half a game, and he's going to go out there and find a way to produce yards because he doesn't rely on falling into a rhythm. Uh, and on the other hand, I think Logan Bonner is a is a rhythm quarterback. He's a He's a system guy. He gets in there and likes to run his offense, but he can do so very quickly. And so the issue with two quarterbacks is the same issue as when you have one quarterback. The only thing with two quarterbacks is you have twice the chance to get around it. The issue is when your quarterback can't play the role he needs to, you're going to have problems. If you only have one quarterback and he's a rhythm quarterback and he can't get into rhythm, you're going to have issues. Where we have an advantage is if we have a rhythm quarterback and he can't get into rhythm, we hand the offense over to our energy quarterback and he goes out there and uh, brings the energy. The problem is Boise State and their stifling defense was able to stop both of those. I think what made this Boise State game so difficult is they found a way to keep Logan Bonner off balance. They kept him from finding a rhythm and they made his offense not very effective, particularly in the red zone. They were causing a lot of problems. And so when the coaching staff decides we need a change of pace, they're getting to Logan Bonner. Let's put Andrew Peasley in. They put Andrew Peasley in and Boise State's defense can adapt immediately and they go out there and they get in his way and they stop Peasley from from running the ball and throwing the ball and uh, they get in the backfield and cause problems and make him uncomfortable and then they go back to to Logan Bonner and we put Logan Bonner back in and Boise prevents him from getting into a rhythm and like I've said like Logan Bonner's a gunslinger he he's the commander of this team he's the guy that goes in he runs the offense But when Boise State prevents him from doing that, it makes it very hard for him to run his offense. We hand it back over to Peasley. Boise State stops us, you know. So, again, the the two-quarterback system has been working all year, and I don't see a reason to turn on Blake Anderson and his two-quarterback system after one loss, Uh, especially a loss to a really good team after we beat uh, two teams we weren't supposed to beat. So we're 3-1 and when we're supposed to be 1-3, and The system clearly works. Logan Bonner's clearly a fantastic quarterback. Andrew Peasley's clearly a fantastic quarterback. What we have is working. Boise State just stopped it. I know that's that's not like a good excuse. That's not what you guys want to hear. But I don't think there are major issues with the way we run our quarterback system. I don't think that's the issue. I think the issue is 
14 penalties that cost us 101 yards. You know, there's small things that happen all throughout the game. They're just broke Boise's way. And that's what happens when you're a good team. When you're a good team, you catch breaks. Things go your way because you go out and make things go your way. So I don't think there are systemic problems on this Utah State offense. I don't I don't see an issue with the way that we put in Logan Bonner and then switch it up and run run Andrew Peasley. I love it. I've loved it since we've run it because it works. It's worked a lot. It's worked really well. And I think you're going to see more success with that. Um, I think another thing to keep in mind is Logan Bonner was probably beat up from last week against Air Force. He took that huge hit, the late hit from, from last week, if you guys can remember that, that pretty much took him out of the out of the whole game. He, he kind of came back in a little bit later, but he was uh, basically done after that. He's probably beat up. He's probably sore. Uh, football's a physical sport. All the guys are probably sore at this point in the season after you get a couple weeks in. So, uh, yeah, they're probably beat up, uh, banged up a little bit, but I, I still love the quarterback system. And especially with the, uh, receiving core that we have with Brandon Bowling, Devin Tompkins, Derek Wright, Justin McGriff, Carson Terrell, that's a fantastic receiving core and our quarterbacks have, uh, have done a great job of utilizing those guys. And I think they both have great chemistry with those guys. Um, so again, I'll, I'll see it a hundred times throughout this season. I'm not worried about the quarterback situation, and I'm I, I love the quarterback situation. And we've seen times where the exact problems that we're complaining about now have worked for us in the past. We've seen times where Logan Bonner goes out there, and the defense, whoever it may be stops him and so we put in Andrew Peasley and Andrew Peasley goes wild and then the defense adapts to Andrew Peasley so what do we do we put in Logan Bonner he catches a rhythm after two plays and he goes wild so you can't complain about something when you were praising that very thing a week ago Logan Bonner is fine Andrew Peasley is fine and Blake Anderson's team and his offensive system is just fine. I also want to draw attention to some of the, uh, you know, some of the other other players on the team rush, rushing and receiving. We talked a little bit about receiving. We'll just run through some of the rushing numbers. Calvin Tyler Jr. twenty carries for one hundred and twenty six yards. Um, he was fantastic today. Um, I know Blake Anderson has been pretty vocal and pretty clear about uh, running by committee, and I don't think he would. He would admit to having a uh, a bell cow running back or anything like that. I don't think that he would announce something like that. Um, but it's pretty clear that Calvin Tyler Jr. is kind of separating himself from the group just a little bit. I, I still don't think it's a, a one one guy with a gap and then a bunch of other guys. I still think they're they're all one pack. Uh, it's still going to be run by a committee, but I do think Calvin Tyler Jr. is starting to separate himself. Um, and you're seeing that in in the numbers. I mean, you're seeing he gets substantially more carries and he puts up more yards and more yards per carry than, than anybody else on the team. So you're kind of seeing that. Um, John Gentry had seven carries for 57 yards. Noah had four carries with four, for 48 yards. And then Andrew Peasley, as he often is, is among the top rushers. Um, six carries for nine yards. And then Palate Makakona with a carry. Um, and then uh, when you look at the box score, what you're going to see is uh, you're going to see Stephen Katsanli, uh, our punter, 
listed as a uh, one of our Utah State rushing leaders with one carry for negative eight yards. You're not reading that wrong. If you come across that stat, we did indeed fake a punt and no, it did not work. Um, but overall, a great a great day for Utah State run, rushing, particularly right there up at, top, at the top with Calvin Tyler Jr. and John Gentry and Elian Noah. Uh, let's take a look at receiving because I also think in, in addition to time of possession and penalties, I think there's a number here that if we unpack it, it's, um, it's going to be problematic. Brandon Bowling, four receptions for 62 yards. Devin Tompkins, four receptions for 60 yards. Derek Wright, one reception, 44 yards. Justin McGriff, two receptions, 29 yards. And then John Gentry caught a ball uh, for 12 yards. And then Carson Terrell, one reception for one yard. The issue that I'm seeing here is Devin Tompkins with four receptions. And again, four receptions is the game high on our side of the ball. Um, Brandon Bowling and, and Devin Tompkins tied for the, the number one receiver with four receptions and, and really performing pretty similarly. Brandon, Brandon Bowling with 62 yards, DT with 60. But this Utah State offense needs to find a way to get the ball to Devin Tompkins more than four times. Devin Tompkins averaged 15 yards every time he touched the ball. Even if you only get him the ball two more times, the law of averages says that he would have had six receptions for 90 yards. If you add 30 yards to this offense, it's hard to imagine they don't. There's not a touchdown in there. You know, 30 yards at the right time is a touchdown. So, the Utah State offense needs to find a way to get Devin Tompkins much more involved each and every game. And I understand he's the best receiver on the team, maybe in the conference. He's going to be defended really, really well. No one's no one's being surprised by Devin Tompkins anymore. Everyone knows that they need to cover DT. They still need to find a way to get him the ball. You know, there, there's ways to do it. You know, like like they they targeted Brandon Bowling a lot today. Um, you know, if you start targeting other guys, they're going to have they got to have they got to guard everybody. So. That's a way to the to get DT open, um, but but the bottom line is he needs to get the ball more than four times, especially when he's averaging 15 yards a carry. Uh, they need to find a way to get Devin Tompkins very involved in every single game, and and again the, the the quarterbacks had a tough tough job this week. They went up against easily one of the best defenses in the conference. So it was a tough assignment. It's tough to get get your get your receivers involved. Uh, that's why you're on the ball so much, you know. Um, but Utah State does need to find a way to get DT the ball. That's the offense. The defense um, The defense looked about how you uh, expected it to. Justin Rice there at the top with uh, 10 total tackles, two solo, um, and one and a half tackles for loss. A.J. Vong Pajong right there behind him with nine total tackles, four solos, and one that was uh, one for loss. Uh, those two... You know, those those two players, those two dudes are really, really good. Justin Rice is going to win us a, a lot of games this year. Um, he already has won us a few games this year. So that's what, uh, that, that's what our team looked like this game. Like I said, tough loss. It makes it tough because we're no longer in control of our own destiny. The fortunate thing for us is that we don't play Fresno State, 
Nevada, or San Diego State in conference. Boise State, on the other hand, plays all three, as well as Wyoming, um, who, in my opinion, the, jur- the, the jury's still out on whether or not they're good. Um, but the bottom line is there's still a path for us to win the division. If Boise State loses two, we're back in the driver's seat. And with a schedule that includes Nevada Air Force, Fresno State, San Diego State, there might be two losses there. Uh, The other way is if Air Force loses to a team that we beat, we're back in the driver's seat because the tiebreaker would go roundabout all the way back to us. Air Force. We've beat Air Force. If Air Force beats Boise State, we're back in the driver's seat. You know, all of this is assuming we win out. Wyoming is still on the schedule for both us and the Broncos. If we beat Wyoming and Wyoming beats Boise State, we're back in the driver's seat. There's a lot of ways still for Utah State to be in the in the conversation for a Mountain West Mountain Division championship. There there's still a way to get to the championship game if you're the Utah State Aggies. You're not in the driver's seat anymore. You don't control your own destiny. You got to hope for another team to lose. You got to hope for a really, really good team to lose, but it's possible. Um, So if Utah State wants to win a Mountain West championship, that's still on the table. That is still 100% possible um, and not not necessarily unlikely. It's it's still early. uh, Not a lot of conference games behind us, but uh, there's still a path to the Mountain West championship game. And if this team wants to do that, they're going to have to win just about every conference game from here on out. Now, we take a break from conference play for two weeks. This week, we host the BYU Cougars. Not a conference game. And then we have a bye week. So we have two weeks until we uh, resume conference play with UNLV in Vegas. And that's when uh, that's when Utah State really needs to be winning games week in, week out. That's when we can no longer afford to lose games because that's when each and every game there's a championship opportunity on the line. So with that, let's take a look at the rest of the conference and see who who's good, who's not, what everybody did this past week, and uh, who might have some championship aspirations for the Mountain West. Like I said, it was kind of an interesting week for the conference. There was uh, some big moves, some some not-so-big moves. Just a, um, an, a kind of an odd week in, in a lot of ways. So uh, let's take a look. So the Fresno State Bulldogs at the time were ranked 22, beat UNLV. That was a, uh, a, a close one. UNLV actually had the lead for most of the game. They scored 14 in the first quarter um, and then ended up, you know, losing uh, 30 to 38. So Fresno State, 22, ranked 22 at the time, advances to four and one on the season after beating uh, conference rival UNLV. Boise State beats Utah State, and then a game that to me is pretty interesting: San Jose loses to Western Michigan, and it wasn't particularly close. Uh, it was 23 to 20. Um, Western Michigan really. Uh, really beat up on San Jose. Most of the scoring actually happened at the beginning of that game, so uh, kind of the opposite of the Utah State-Boise Day game, but yeah, San Jose is a team. They're the defending champions, and I've been trying to figure out how good they are all year 
And with a loss to, to Western Michigan, I'm starting to think they might not be that good. I don't know that they're a threat necessarily to win the conference this year. Here's another weird one. Colorado State loses by 10 to Iowa. Colorado State is a team that I've said is going to be good, and then they lost to South Dakota State, who, to be fair, is a good uh, good FCS team, but still an FCS team. They've been getting a little bit better. Um, they somehow lost to an FCS school, and then in their next three games, lost to an SEC school and the number five team in the country, Iowa, by a combined score of 13. So I really don't know what to expect from the Rams. Losing by 10 to Iowa is really impressive. It's a loss, but it's still really impressive. And then you have the exact opposite of that in Wyoming beating UConn 22-24. to I'm more impressed by Colorado State's loss than I am by Wyoming's win. That win by Wyoming does not impress me at all. To beat UConn by two is really unimpressive. Wyoming does move to 4-0 and on the season, which is great, but UConn drops to 0-5. Um, Wyoming really should have beat that team really badly, and it's bad enough that they only won by two. Wyoming had to come from behind. UConn went up 10-0 to in the first quarter. The teams traded field goals in the second half, um, so the score at halftime, 13-10 to for UConn. Wyoming scores in the third, scores a touchdown, then they have to score two touchdowns in the fourth quarter, um, scoring 14 to UConn's nine in the fourth quarter to to bring the final score to 24-22. to Not an impressive performance by Wyoming. Like I said, I'm a lot more impressed by Colorado State's loss, 14-24, to to the fifth best team in the country, Iowa, than I am to Wyoming's 24-22 win over UConn. San Diego State beat Towson 48-21, took care of business. Air Force beat Florida Atlantic, took care of business. They beat FAU 31-7. Hawaii did the same to New Mexico State. Uh, they got in there, took care of business, a final score of 41-21. And New Mexico falls to 2-2. Two as they lose 20 to 13 to the UTEP Miners. So that is that's the slate of games that that happened. Um, again, Nevada didn't play this week. So after all the games in week four, here is my power rankings for the teams in the conference. I have Fresno State as the clear number one. They are now ranked 18th in the country. Um, then I have San Diego State, Nevada, Boise State. At number five, I have our own Utah State Aggies. Air Force at 6, San Jose, Colorado State, Wyoming, Hawaii, New Mexico, and rounding out the 12th spot, I have UNLV. Other teams that uh, moved around in the rankings that are relevant, BYU moves up to 13. We do host them this week. Uh, that'll be a test. They have a good offense. They beat USF 35-27. to and they will uh, come to Logan for their first away game of the year. And we'll be breaking that down on Thursday. Um, but make sure you... Uh, that don't, You know what? If you didn't listen to me before and you didn't buy tickets, you've probably missed out because that game is a sellout and I'm pretty sure the tickets are all gone. Uh, so you should have listened to me if you don't have tickets. I've been telling you to buy tickets for weeks now. Um, but that'll be a, that'll be a good game. Um, and then, as I said, Fresno to 18. Nobody else in the conference is ranked, although San Diego State is receiving votes. 
Wyoming is no longer receiving votes. Their singular vote dropped off after their win against Yukon. San Diego State's receiving like 57 votes, and that's about it for the conference. So that does it for us today. Make sure you tune in on Thursday. We'll be breaking down that BYU game. Um, you know, it's uh, it's an out-of-conference rivalry in-state game. Uh, it's a lot of fun for fans, uh, especially locally, regionally. It's a fun game. Um, so we'll be talking about that game and, and you know, kind of um, how it matters and uh, how, it, how it kind of forms the rest of the season and how, um, you know, what, what, what it does and what it doesn't mean. We'll be breaking it down all on Thursday, so make sure you come back then. Uh, we'll be uh, getting you ready for a full week five of football. And I couldn't be more excited. And then I want to leave you on a, on a good note. Utah State is 3-1. and one. And they're supposed to be one and three after playing Washington State in Pac-12 country, North Dakota, Air Force on the road, and Boise State. Utah State is three and one. That's a good feeling. And we're a lot better than the so-called experts thought we would be. Three and one is still a pretty good feeling. Uh, let's enjoy it. Let's get ready to pack the map this weekend. Go Aggies.